you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankfurt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. Tenakoto, tenakoto, tenakoto. Flowerhood whanau. It's welcome, Flowerhood family. Hey, great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. Where do you need nature most? In your home? In your office? It's bound to be inside a building, isn't it? Or inside a, a man-made construction, obviously, away from nature itself. Because, you know, like, what is nature? Collectiveness, a togetherness with our surroundings, the world of landscape, features, plants, animals, of which, of course, we're one. It's that place without the human creations. And being an animal, well, we were always part of nature. And then slowly over time, after we kind of left the cave and then we formed civilizations, we came together and we withdrew from the environment. And what happens when you withdraw from something? You create this form of separation. And then generations on that separation, well, it kind of changes the way that we view nature. And nature becomes, for some, a hostile place. It's the unknown. And what you don't know gives you fear. Isn't that true about everything in life? I mean, fear is always based on the unknown. Think about something you really, really want in life. Something big and audacious that feels way beyond you. Have you got something? I mean, it could be as crazy as like, you know, I want world peace. I want fresh water for for every person on the planet. I want my dream job. Or I want to start this incredible business. Or I want to hike all the national parks in my country. But what really holds you back? Do you start, like, does your brain immediately go to that place where it starts to list off all the the things like a lack of resources, lack of knowledge, lack of fitness. You don't know where to start. You don't have the experience. You have too much experience. You don't have the right connections. And if you really look at all these things, they are obstacles which we identify, put words to, but often with not a lot of thought that's gone into them. They become like a throwaway statement that we use to get ourselves off the hook. Oh, I don't have the money. 
I mean, how many times have I said that? Oh, I couldn't do that. I don't have the money. It's a really defining statement that seems so certain and final. And then add on to it the word yet. So I don't have the money yet. And suddenly that kind of finality is no longer there. And it's more about possibility. Because let's face it, like there's so many examples where people have achieved unbelievable goals. And yet at the beginning of the journey, they didn't have one or all of those resources. They actually might have started out with absolutely nothing, living in absolute poverty. And how did they get themselves out of that? So of course, there are so many examples of this. There is a way. I'm sure there's plenty of examples in your own life where you didn't have the resources or knowledge at the start, but you found ways to get them. And it could it be that the thing that really holds you back is, is none of those things that we put the words to. It's an actual fact, something deeper. It's, it's fear. It's fear that stops you. Fear. And fear can be the simple thing that stops you turning around and talking to a stranger on the bus, reaching out to someone, stopping and helping someone, or even just actually asking someone, do you need a hand? You know, we have this fear that, oh, that we'll be rejected, oh, you know, or that we'll look silly, or that, oh, that no, surely they're all right. You know, we rationalise this stuff away. We look at other people and we have a fear and there's strange people, strange places, strange religion, strange habits, strange ways of dressing, strange environment. And all of it can produce fear. So as human beings... Like, we used to spend a lot of time outdoors. And then we started to build the towns, the cities, the sky rises, the apartment blocks. We started to withdraw from our natural environment. And through the separation came these elements of fear. We started to control how our children played outside. There they were with their hands in the earth getting muddy. Don't touch that, it's dirty. There's germs. I mean, we even started to freak out if we saw dirt stuck on the, on the vegetables in the supermarket. You think about it, unless you're heading down to the farmer's market, you're more often than not in the Western world buying perfectly clean, washed of all traces of the environment, sterilised food. There's this disconnect going on. I honestly believe that to create joy in our lives... We need to be using all five senses. We need to smell, taste, touch, feel, and breathe our environment. And I touched on this in a podcast a while back. I think it was episode seven where I talked about the Japanese practice of forest bathing. And like a real quick recap, it, it's where you head into the forest now, you're devoid of technology. You don't take your phones in. You stop your Instagram. And you don't need to be active. You don't need to be on a bike. You don't need to be running. You walk at a slow pace. This practice is not about exercise. This is about opening up the five senses. And one of the most powerful effects, especially from cedar, oak, pine forests, 
is what happens to ourselves as we smell. So trees emit phytoncides, these essential oils into the environment. Well, why do they do it? I mean, they're doing it because the tree has these volatile organic compounds, antimicrobial, which help the tree defend itself from certain terriers, certain fungi, insects. And these oils are a gift to us. So time inside the forest increases our lymphocytes, the natural killers of virus-infected cells in the human body. It's just incredible. So walking in the forest it increases the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system and it reduces the activity in the sympathetic nervous system. What's that like? I mean, imagine you're driving along the highway and you see an erratic driver ahead and they're doing this kind of really crazy manoeuvre and you have to swerve. So you react quickly to this dangerous situation. You go into that fight-flight response, kicks in immediately, and your sympathetic nervous system has been activated. Now, you continue driving and the craziness of the situation and the knowledge of what could have just been a near-death experience It kind of has you on edge. So how long it takes to calm down is governed by the parasympathetic nervous system. You think about, like, what was a saber-toothed tiger coming at you (laughs) thousands of years ago can now be a car on the wrong side of the road coming towards you. And the response, the readiness to fight or flee, it's the same reaction as what you had all those years ago. So walking through forests, woods, eucalyptus groves, cedar plantations, it has the ability to create physical benefits and mental benefits. And yet if you're interested in hearing more about it, like do pop onto that podcast because I go into the science behind it and I actually talk about some of the studies that were done on it. It's really interesting. The reason I mention this podcast is I did a lot of research for it. And then ever since, things have been cropping up in my life. You know know how it is when you become really interested in a subject and you start to see it mentioned everywhere. And it's an actual phenomenon. It's called Beda-Meinhof. It's the phenomenon of frequency bias or frequency illusion, or I think some people call it recency illusion or selective attention bias. You notice something new, well, at least it's new to you, and it could be a word or a business term, a brand, style of house, just about anything, and suddenly you're aware of that thing all over the place. When I started looking at the healing nature of plants, it's like I tuned my radar in, (laughs) and now I just come across all sorts of interesting books talks. People who have amazing information and insight into this. I just feel like it's sort of broadening my horizons. The the more I kind of gather information about it, the more information comes into my life. So it's that selective attention bias, that frequency illusion. Today's podcast, I wanted to talk about a concept that I came across this week forest air method. 
so forest air, AIR method. Have you heard of this? All it consists of is a frame mounted on a wall in your house or your office, a lamp and certain plants. You water them every three weeks. Yeah, every three weeks. God, not three times a week. You'd be a bit busy. So what people find is that there's a special kind of peace, presence, contentment that comes from this better air quality that is created from these plants. And thousands of Norwegians use the forest air method. And not just in homes, but in their offices, uh, public institutions, schools, hospital. Now, I've seen, and you will have as well, I've seen living walls on property programs, uh, house renovations, in the local trendy cafes. And I guess the, the thing is that I never understood really point of them beyond it being a decorative nature. You know, I appreciate them. I think they're beautiful. And I love, I love seeing people bringing nature indoors, the decorative nature. I just realized that was a, a really bad pun. Anyway, it's when I started to understand about our environment, our office environment, our home environment, low lighting, the penny kind of dropped. A lot of the time in life, we go through uh, with a feeling of tiredness, lower energy. It's often not like a big dramatic feeling. You know, it's not like you just, uh, you feel extremely sick, but you can walk into an environment and your energy level drops. So let's say we find something that can actually raise our game, lift our energy level. Wouldn't that be cool? And I, I remember like being in an office where I would walk in and by 10 o'clock in the morning, start feeling tired, start yawning. And what I understand is often it's a light issue. So you have these two choices. You can scurry off to the couch and have a nap or you kind of willpower yourself into getting over that 10 o'clock drop and you grab a coffee. I mean, actual fact, you hardly like to say to your boss, oh, look, I know I've just arrived an hour earlier to work and, and I just need to go and hit the couch in the executive lounge. <laughs> I'll have a little nap. So what say your body is giving you a message? What say we stop ignoring when we walk into buildings and we feel that slump, that depletion in our energy level. You know, you're walking into the office and an hour later, you start to feel lethargic. There's something going on here. What say it's your thousand year old brain sensing danger, sensing a hazard. The light is too low. The room is too stuffy. There's not enough fresh air. Get out, get out, get out. About when you go on holidays. So you go on the holiday, you head off, you know, you might be outdoors for a week, you come back and you're recharged. You walk into the office. Are you recharged? How long does it take before that energy level drops? Have you ever had that experience where you, you come back and then you know, it's only like a day or two and you feel absolutely exhausted and think, oh my gosh, I need a holiday to get over the holiday. If you spend a week in nature, you feel amazing. 
And then once you're back into that normal routine, how long before you deplete the sensation of being refreshed? It's kind of an interesting question because it sort of leads to that thing as about ourselves as a human being, like, are we a battery? How do we store the energy in ourselves? And how long does that last? And what are the things that sap our energy? What are the things that pull down on our battery power? You need to have top-ups. That's what I've come to realise. You sort of need top-ups 24-hour days, 24-hour days, and a 24-hour day. You need to top-up. Our connection with nature. This connection with nature, it needs to be ongoing. So I was thinking about how, well, look, we don't all live near a forest. We can't all take an hour off to go and walk through that forest to uplift ourselves, to recharge our battery, to invigorate the cells in our body. You know, you may have used your holiday time up. You have small children or you're looking after elderly parents. You can't always get out. You can't always get out into that nature. So what do we do? We really need to bring that nature in. You know that feeling when you walk into some rooms and they are dead, stuffy, stifled, claustrophobic, poor lighting, morose. So let's connect with those feelings now. It's so important not to ignore them. Feelings are the tools for analysing events. Feelings are the tools for analysing events. Walk into some rooms and you get a physiological symptom of dry eyes, stuffy nose, headaches, overheating, poor concentration, coughing, dry, itchy skin, feeling that your body has a heaviness. Now what's kind of like the opposite of it? Lush plants and sunlight. Don't you think that just gives you this sort of confidence, this this invigoration in your life. So what I'm wondering about, you know, bringing plants into your home environment or office environment is, is it that you're just introducing more oxygen, bringing those plants indoors? Well, that's not just the case, okay? So these plants are absorbing what is in the air. And don't forget that we talk about a plant, we also need to talk about the soil, fungi, the microorganisms in that soil. A plant is not just a plant, it's a mini ecosystem. So we're talking about what's involved around that plant, which also deals with the pollutants in the air. So plants are absorbing these poisonous solvents like formaldehyde, benzene, nitrogen oxide, We want to have these plants to filter these air pollutants because if the plants aren't breathing them in, guess who is? Yes, us. You and me. It might be time that you kind of check out the NASA 1989 Clean Air Study. So look, there's this great book that I picked up and it's by Jorn Wundahl. I hope I said his name correctly. So Jorn, J-O-R-N, and Vumdal, V-I-U-M-D-A-L. 
And it's a fascinating book about Skogluft. S-K-O-G-L-U-F-T, Skogluft. Here's what he talks about. You're going to set up this wall of plants in your office, in your home. I'd say just do it everywhere. (laughs) You need to use lights from a couple of light bulbs. And they need to be of a certain intensity. So I'll talk about that in a minute. You need 20 to 40 small plants. And you need about one to half, one to one and a half cubic feet of organic soil. And then you're going to water every three weeks. And that's it. That's it. Nothing else, okay? So what you were doing is growth is absolutely crucial. You don't want to be using just any old house plants. And when you think about this, this makes a lot of logic, which he talks about. When you buy house plants from shops, supermarkets, um, plant shops, they're often bred to look really good in the shop for a sale. They're looking for healthy growth. Balance, but we're looking for healthy growth. They're looking for the beauty of the plant to make the sale. So what we're looking for is we're looking for plants that have like a balanced development in their thriving process. Now with soil side, you know, you're looking for a cubic, well, think about this one, a cubic centimetre of organic soil can contain 8 billion microorganisms of countless different varieties. Isn't that incredible? One cubic centimetre can contain 8 billion microorganisms. Light, right. This is really important in what we're going to do. So light needs to be full spectrum light because that's the light that closely resembles sunlight. So the temperature of light measures in Kelvin. Okay, it's going to be 5,500K. And it corresponds basically to light outdoors on a cloudy day. And we see that light as white. So that white light is actually all the colours of the spectrum. And it's the energy, the photons in the light that create the photosynthesis. Better the quality of light, the more the plant will grow. Now, here's another little interesting thing. So artificial light doesn't contain UV light. That's actually what helps us as human beings produce vitamin D. Just a little little thing to drop in there. So we're going to have 5,000 500k light that is good for plants is good for us too ideally we would be spending about 14 hours outside a day and then come into sleep (laughs) now there's not a lot of us that can do that in life spend 14 hours outside and then come in and sleep Remember I was just saying about the buying your plants, you know, from the supermarket, plant shop, whatever, and they they look good, don't they? They look lush. That's because nurseries use a bluer end of the spectrum. And this is because they're interested in the growth side of the plant, just the growth side. So we're more looking for a balanced plant. Now, one little note here. A withered plant in your house means the environment is not good. If the environment's not good for that plant, the environment is not good for you. The other thing that light is, it's measured in lux, L-U-X. This is luminosity. 
So outdoors on a sunny day is between 32,000 to 100,000 lux. Indoor lighting is 500 lux. Think about that. That is what we humans are trying to adapt ourselves to. The more time we spend inside, you know, on our computers, in our, you know, it's like living in our caves, isn't it? We're, we're here and we are trying to adapt to this very low measurement of light. So the other thing that's really important for this wall that we're going to create is the plants themselves. And so John has identified that the best plant to use is the golden pothos. And this is a plant from Solomon Islands, from the Pacific. It's dark, green and leafy. And it's been around for over 400 million years, so a lot longer than us. It's found in the rainforest floor as an undergrowth. So it can survive in lower light conditions. Remember what I just said. The moment we go from outside to inside, we just drop extraordinary amount of light that we really need as human beings and that plants need. The other thing you're going to need is a vertical frame. So you can basically hang four flower boxes. Now, if you're not allowed to put anything up on your walls because you're in an apartment, a tenant in place, what you could actually do is you could actually buy an old secondhand bookcase <laughs> and, you know, have that with four slots in for your four flower boxes. And then you're going to need a couple of lamps, which you will make sure that you've got the right lead light bulbs in, full spectrum, 5,000K, a watering can, some plastic plumbing pipe, 1.5 inches thick with a bit of mesh on it. And so this is just going to sit in, in your flower boxes so that you can pour the water through the pipe and it will get down to, to the base rather than just like watering the top soil. We actually want it to get right the way down where the roots will be. You'll need some clay pebbles or something to put at the bottom of the flower pot as well for drainage. And you're going to water once every three weeks. No more, no more and no less than a gallon per box. The lights, they're going to turn on, hopefully, 7am and off 7pm. And then the only other thing you need to do is touch your plant. Touch it. Manicure it. Remove bits of growth every now and then. When you touch your plant and manicure it, cut off like the older leaves, give it a little tweak. You know, if you see one tendril growing a bit too long, like take it off. This creates a little jolt in the plant. And the plant goes, oh my gosh, action is needed. Something's happening. And it basically creates like a spark of life force to your plant. So Jorn Wumdal tells you exactly what you need to do to keep your plant alive and thriving. He shows you how to create this really simple system, this ecosystem in your house or office. And it's really easy. And what a great project you could do with your kids, like bringing the nature indoors, allowing them to experience firsthand the joy and calming effects of plants. 
Think about the amazing benefits of cleaning the air in your house. I'm really excited about this. And this is going to be my project over the next few weeks. I'm going to create a live wall. Thanks for joining me today. I wish you all joy, peace, love, and a beautiful connection with nature. Look forward to you tuning in soon. Bye. My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favourite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, hey, why not stop and smell the roses?